There we go. Our uh, gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said unto them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Um, I'm not actually preaching from the gospel text here this morning. It's uh, one that's a selection um, that many Christians throughout the world are reading this morning as they gather and worship, but it's kind of nice uh, how well sometimes that just ends up being perfect passage there. Um, so what we are going to be talking a little bit, and we have been these last five weeks, is going through uh, the book of Zechariah here, um, looking particularly at the gospel through the lens of his prophetic ministry. Let's see if I can pull. Oh, man, that's so nice. It is working. At least it seems to be so far. Zechariah is uh, one of the 12 minor prophets. I'm not sure uh, for bonus points, any of the Bible quizzers here, do you guys happen to know the major prophets? Thank you. Or, yeah, no, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Those are the other ones, and then there's Lamentations in there, and with the 12 minor prophets, you have the 17. But Zechariah comes at the very end of those prophets. He's uh, second most, Malachi is the latter most. Uh, Zechariah is also the most major of the minor prophets. It's the longest of the books there. But we've been going through the visions. We are going through the first half of Zechariah for those weeks. We did the first and the eighth vision of the horses and the chariots, seeing that God is sovereign over all things. And it's going to be establishing, even in the midst of them coming back, and it not quite looking like God is, has his hand in. He's getting ready and preparing for this final consummation. Pastor Jeff then took us through the four horns, that have been terrorizing Judah and how God is going to rework and refashion those powers and all things for his glory, bringing about the consummation. Last, or two weeks ago, um, we talked a little bit about Jerusalem and the rehabilitation of Jerusalem, particularly as this vision, seeing how God is going to bring back all peoples and all nations as this celebration together. And then last week, uh, Pastor Jeff talked a little bit about the fourth and the fifth vision were kind of together there. Um, this is the image of um, the new, the clean turban being put on Joshua, um, and this idea of God cleansing and purifying the people, uh, preparing them to be able to receive, to be the people capable of, of being in his kingdom. So now we turn uh, to Zechariah chapters. Seven and eight. And so after these eight wondrous visions that we've had of Zechariah, he begins to directly address us again with this primary invitation of the gospel. This is maybe the one word that we've kind of been using throughout the whole time. And my hope is, is as we've gone through these weeks and continue for, I don't know, I think it's another two or three weeks here, um, to go through Zechariah, that it is apparent that when we talk about repentance, 
it's not primarily or it's more than just about sort of a condemnation that's being thrown at you or a kind of be good or else is going to happen to you. Whereas so oftentimes happens gets linked into just being about shame or about guilt. There is a sense with repentance of a kind of godly contrition or a humility or a self-honesty that is extremely important to it. In fact, if it's understood in the right way, it's profoundly freeing. Because on the one hand, we no longer have to pretend to be something that we aren't. But I think if we were to really try to drive into what is at the heart of this change or this transformation of our lives, when we talk about repentance, it's this idea of receiving the eternal life that God has promised to us. We repent towards a life that is supremely and finally about God's love, his peace, and his joy. I point this out midway in Zechariah because it is so easy to relate repentance to the way, at least that I've encountered it in the world. Have any of, all, have any of you all ever been motivated to change through a punishment? Anybody ever threatened you to do? <laughs> yeah, at least, I mean, growing up, right? It's like you clean your room or you're going to get spanked, right? You finish your plate or you'll be sent to bed early. If you're not home by 10, you'll be grounded. But it doesn't change that much because even when you're an adult, right, if you're late for work, you'll be fired. If you speak your mind, you're uninvited or unfriended on Facebook. If you don't register your car, um, you'll, get a, you'll get fined and perhaps get your license suspended. And it's not necessarily that these particular kinds of negative consequences are totally out of line or impossible. But it is the sense that if we primarily live out of a sense of avoiding punishment, we're repenting away from. We're kind of running from something without knowing necessarily what we're going towards. And the wonderful thing I think about Zechariah, this is, oh, oh no, okay, there, oh, uh, uh uh-oh. Made it all the way to the end here. That's it. That's it. Oh, nope. Shoot, it was working so well. There we go. Okay, am I, going, am I, am I good now? I, I don't know what, I, who knows? You guys just got a whole preview. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Um, this, is, this is the image of the river of life here in the New Jerusalem on all peoples gathered around Christ who is the Son. The thing about Zechariah is, is that it... It gives us these visions because God doesn't primarily want us to just be running away from something, but to run towards something. That God is giving us this vision of his glory and of his goodness. So often, this is actually how Jesus' own parables work. At least in a... Let's see if I can get this. At least in a culture... In fact, I'll just go here. In a culture that's lost or forgotten the ability to see Zechariah's visions or believe in them. Which is why Pastor Jeff has turned to, as we've been going through Zechariah, this image of the prodigal son, the one who has now realized the emptiness of the world and is going back to his father to try to negotiate or bargain for so much less than the father is going to give him anyway. The wonderful thing about our passage for this morning that Lois read is that like so many marvelous passages in Scripture that want to give us a vision 
for repentance. They begin not by pushing on us a list of do's and don'ts, but by telling us a story. It's a story of who we are, of who God is, of how we got here, and where finally we're going. It's a story that when it's told well, it changes, it transforms our desires and our attitudes. Even verses 16 and 17, which are they're really wonderful. You can see here, speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, against one another and love no false oath. And those kind of echo, there's some verses in chapter 7 that talk about showing each other mercy and kindness and not oppressing the widow and the orphan and the stranger. You could kind of take out of those some key words like truth and peace and justice and goodness. But even those aren't a, a rigid sort of technical code of conduct. They don't tell you a whole lot until you consider them within the bigger, bigger context of the story here. I mean, we meet truth when a gray-haired and aging Sarah and Abraham are in a strange land trying to take heat under the blistering hot day in the Judean countryside, and they're visited by three strangers that tell them that the child of promise will be born to them by this time next year. We get a sense of what it means what peace means when uh, the Syrian army, which is the enemy of Israel, is hunting down Elisha and he leads them to the city of Samaria. And at the moment when the king of Samaria could just smash all of them and annihilate his enemies, Elisha tells, tells the king to feed the Syrian army, his enemies. And they go away, and it says wonderfully in the text after that in 2 Kings, there was no longer any conflicts between them. There we go. Well, I'm all the way to the end. I don't know, Josh, if you can get me back there. We get a sense of what justice is when Joseph, whose power is only exceeded by the most powerful man in the world at that time, repays his brothers who sold him into slavery by filling their bags with grain and giving their money back to them during a famine so that they and their families might live. And finally, we get a sense of goodness when we see the people of Israel that God has called out of slavery into freedom in the wilderness, crying out for lack of food, and God gives them manna. I see here. Is it not? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Gives them manna in the wilderness. Right? There's something about these words. <laughs> and there's something about this presentation that just does not want to, not want to do what I hope it, it, it's doing here. Here we go. Okay. There's something about these words that we see that, again, it's more than just a, a simple code of conduct. It's a way of life here. They invoke in something in us that's dynamic, that's responsive, and surprising. And if we're willing to spend time in this story that's being told through this passage, we are given a vision by God of where he is calling us and the way that we can reach the destination that we're on, which is this idea of repentance. So two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about that third vision, the rehabilitation of Jerusalem, and it's this call to repentance through joy, right? I mean, this was kind of the exercise where we were envisioning 
if you were to see Cordova here filled with our family, our friends, our neighbors, this is kind of what God is inviting through Zechariah to the people there. There's a way in which God is establishing his name and his glory to all nations. Again, the idea of running towards a real and abundant life that's coming and that's already among us. This morning, I want to touch on one other aspect um, that I think is at work in this idea of repentance. Uh, Maybe not surprisingly here in the church. Maybe I'm just going through all the fruits of the Spirit, joy, love. But I think that there's a way that they kind of, when married to repents, you get to see they bring out aspects in each other. Repentance positions us to be able to receive love, which is much more difficult than it sounds. And if we have received it, then to be able to give it, because you can't give what you haven't received. Even in passages like this morning, um, the one that Lois read, have you ever noticed that when Israel turns to the Lord, when they repent, which is what the passage is kind of talking about there, all of a sudden they become this focal point for all of, all of the world, for all of history, right? And this is sort of the image here of the nations streaming in to the new Jerusalem. And the, I think the passage uses things like that they're going to entreat the favor of the Lord, or in Revelation you kind of have this image of them bringing their glory into uh, the new Jerusalem there. In turning to the Lord, this people, and of course us as well, having been invited into this, become this chosen instrument that God has intended for them to be. So I'll sometimes talk about they're, they're this channel or this conduit of God's mercy, his life, and his goodness that flows out towards the world. Uh, if any of you have ever been in the presence of somebody that just has that deep sort of spiritual communion and intimacy with God, you know what I'm talking about. It just kind of radiates from them. This is what God wants us to be for all the world. But in a world of sin, the everything that's coming towards the people of God here, yes, it is sort of all peoples and all nations, but it isn't always harmless. And when you live as this chosen instrument of God's mercy, it also sets them in the crosshairs of sin and of death. It actually foreshadows the very coming of Jesus himself and his face-to-face confrontation with darkness and with the devil. Jesus, of course, perfectly reveals what it is to be a child of God in receiving and living in the eternal life that he has with the Father and with the Spirit. Right? Philippians does this so beautifully, who being in very form God did not consider equality with God, living a, a life of eternal bliss, something to be grasped. But he humbles himself and he makes himself human to do what? To suffer and experience our wounds and afflictions only for the sake of love, because he loves the dust and ashes that I am and that you are, so that we can be united with God eternally. When you read through the prophets, in particular Isaiah here, one of the things that comes out, like I said, you get this portrait and this image of the people of God having turned to God and everything streaming towards them, right? And we become this kind of light for those seeking light and a beacon of hope. There's also one other image. This is kind of partly the bridge here, and we're going to be turning more to that as we get to the end of Zechariah. The other image is always kind of of this final worldwide war. You'll find it in in Zechariah. Again, there's something in Revelation and the other prophets. 
It's of the assembling of all the armies of the earth around God's people. Sometimes the word that gets used is Armageddon. Part of the realization that the prophets begin to take on, that they begin to see, and you begin to see in things like Isaiah during the suffering servant songs, is the very same thing that we see in God from the beginning of the scriptures and in Jesus from his life, which is of a God who comes right into the midst of our world, into the midst of all suffering, into the midst of all sin, and works time and time again, right, to redeem and call his people, to call all creation back to him, of a son that's obedient to the Father and he endures the suffering of the cross. And it's also in that same light, and this is what you begin to see here, that the people of God, having been anointed by their same spirit, are there to stand against the sin and darkness of the world that's within our hearts, that's within our families and our neighbors in our communities, even in our enemies, until Christ comes in final victory. And more than that, I know the image of the warfare is kind of... uh, gives this sense like, I'm indestructible, I'm invincible before it. But we know that Jesus, as our Lord, comes and he confronts the sin of the world, and he does indeed suffer and is killed by it. And what Zechariah really wants to focus our hearts and minds on as we get here deep into the book is that repentance is not driven by a sense that I'm indestructible because I have the power of God in me but of the same character of love that the Father and the Son have for all of us. This willingness at any cost, not to have that life of joy, of that coming kingdom, that bliss, that love, apart from us, without giving and pouring out absolutely everything that they have. Even when they could say, this is not my problem and not my fight. Right? This is the quality of love, which isn't just simply a rule that we have to follow or we get punished. But what Zechariah wants wants us to see, and he foreshadows, is that it's this supernatural gift of God that he promises to us and that we pray for. The people of God, in following our Lord, we wade into the very present sufferings of this world for the sake of those that God is still waiting to call his redeemed sons and daughters. So (laughs) what does all this mean for us, as Zechariah calls us to repentance. I mean, my life isn't always an apocalyptic battle with the stakes of all creation hanging in the balance. Although, we all have moments that are life and death, right? I mean, this is kind of the sense, and Virginia, I thought it was so beautiful how you had articulated Don in his final moments there. Our, our final moments are kind of the final exam of our lives, where we sort of gather in all the patience, the endurance, the care, the trust, the humility, the faith that we've learned over a lifetime to be a beacon of hope and life in that. But we're not all always there kind of at that level. And I think in the same way, Zechariah is still encouraging me as I go through this book to have a vision. Because I think when I... When I was up here two weeks ago, I spoke about all the nonsense stuff that I visualize all the time conversations or events that don't take place that I think are just going to go wrong, and that's kind of what's working in my mind. And Zechariah would, I believe, have me visualize, have me envision this morning differently, casting out all that stuff, and see myself going to Emmanuel and Jessica 
for instance, and saying, is there anything I can help you with this week before you leave on your trip, having just moved and knowing how much, even with my short move, uh, how much goes into that? Right? They would have me visualize Betty Weiss, who some of you know has been having a rough go of it, and asking and calling her up, seeing how she's doing and if I can bring her groceries. They'd have me calling up Karen as Winnie's kind of here, uh, maybe in a short time before she goes to be with the Lord and asking if I can pray with her. Asking Jeff and Indra, who I know I've just lost one of the greatest daycares there ever existed. And if there's any, time, any way I could spend time with Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, Emmaus and Miriam. Asking Andra if I can help her with mowing the grass or if I can make dinner for Dottie Frinky. These are all relatively simple things in light of the suffering that Christ undergoes. But I think what Zechariah would have me point out is, is that as I participate in these things, so I'm joined to the lives of all those that I've spoken to, to their difficulties and to their struggles. And if I'm honest, oftentimes the reason that I don't do it is not because the simple things are so difficult. It's because I feel often inadequate when I'm invited into others' lives to the struggles that they face. And part of what Zechariah would want to point out to me is to repent of my pride, to think that it depends all on me when I step into others' lives or nothing at all, and instead be able to see the grace of God that's already working in them and that's strengthening me. You know, our repentance is receiving, I think, a calling, again, to be that light that Zechariah imagines this morning. We invite people into seasons now of joy and gladness, just as Zechariah does to us, because we know what the Lord will do, how he will bring back and bring to everybody that we know and that we love. We're also called to be an instrument through which God defeats the forces of darkness, of slavery in our world, by offering up ourselves, our comfort, our ease as a sacrifice, just as our Lord does, for the sake and for the love of others. This morning we respond to Zechariah's call as we come to this table. Our greatest act, the best thing that we can ever do is to allow this story that's being told in Zechariah to become our story. And so be able to receive the love that Christ offers here as he gives us his life. We come to be filled with love and joy and gratitude and to be able to know the love that Christ Christ shows us as he gives up his life, only now to gain it back. And so that he is, he, yes, only now to gain it back. I ask you to come in thanksgiving and joy this morning. Shall we pray together? Lord our God, grateful this morning for the opportunity to have that call of repentance laid over our lives. To have the freedom to be able to let go of those things that have hindered or been an obstacle in the way of us having a deep and abiding communion relationship with you. And also to have this ability to look towards that life that you're pointing us to, to be able to eagerly pursue it. We pray, Lord, that you might give us a vision to meditate on, to be able to see those wondrous things that Zechariah himself saw, you calling us home and all of your sons and daughters, and be able to offer up our lives as an instrument and as a sacrifice. To your praise. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus.